But my sermon today on this Father's Day concerns a word from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and the title of our message is Wisdom from a Spiritual Father, Wisdom from a Spiritual Father. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And the church said, amen, amen. Wisdom from a spiritual father. Before he deployed to Afghanistan, Army Staff Sergeant Philip Gray sat down and wrote 270 reminders for his seven-year-old daughter. One for each day he would be away. He wanted to remind his daughter that she was always on his mind His little girl's name was Rosie, and those notes for Rosie reminded her to do her best at school, to excel in her activities and hobbies, and to mind her mother. His wife, Kristen, said Philip was very big on feel-good words for her. He made sure to tell her how smart she was to run fast in P.E., and things that would just really make her happy. Philip Gray left their home October the 7th, 2019. And while he was gone, his wife Kristen put his notes into Rosie's lunchbox every day for lunch. She got a note from dad. And some of those notes included doodles like snowmen or pumpkins to represent the holidays. He would be away from them. Well, last August, August the 8th, he returned three days before Rosie's birthday. Now that I'm home, Philip says, Rosie asks me, Dad, are you still going to leave me and Mom a note? (laughs) Yes, Rosie, I will leave you a note. (laughs) That's Philip Gray. He's a good dad, isn't he? Real good dad. One of the missions of being a good dad, one of, the, one of the essential tasks of fatherhood is that of reminding, reminding our children, reminding our children by our words and by our example who God is and what he has done and therefore who we are and our destiny in him. So, so for today on this Father's Day, I would like for us to consider the Apostle Paul, who though he had no biological children, he was the father of many spiritual children. All over the Roman Empire, the Apostle Paul fathered spiritual children through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, we are going to hear wisdom from a gospel father for his spiritual children. Now, Paul didn't leave 270 little notes. 
okay? But he did leave one long letter in 1 Corinthians. You don't think I'd let us get by Father's Day without going to 1 Corinthians, do you? Huh? There's a Father's Day sermon in 1 Corinthians. Where, pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Take your Bibles and meet me in 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at two passages. Chapter 4, verses 14 to 21 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 21, and then without pause, I will go quickly to 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. Hear these words from the Word. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved, what? Children. There it is. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your, what's that say? Father. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? So then be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. This is God's word. Yeah. Now, can you hear this fatherly tone? I mean, Paul talks like a father, doesn't he? <laughs> shall I come to you with a rod? <laughs> or shall I come to you with love? It's, it's up to you. Okay. You hear that? And then can you hear the theme? The theme of remembrance. Remembers, like Paul is saying, we don't have much time here. Like parents seeing their children off to college or to military service or a new job in a new city. You know, I want you to remember, Paul says, I want you to remember like a good father. In fact, here's our big idea a gospel father helps his child remember. A gospel father helps his child remember. Say that with me. A gospel father helps his child remember. Again, a gospel father helps his child remember. Now, I say gospel father because that term includes spiritual fathers in the family of God. Some of us, some of us are without fathers. Some of us um, have never been a father, but all of us, all of us in the family of God, we have fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and sons and daughters through the gospel in Jesus. So we're not without one another. 
in God's family. And so today I want us to hear Paul's fatherly words of remembrance. And so here's what we're going to, so it's about remembering. Well, remembering what? Well, I want you to remember who you are. That's about our identity. I want you to remember where you are. That's about our locality. And then I want you to remember what you must do. And that's about our responsibility. Identity, locality, responsibility. Who you are, that's in chapter 4. And then where you are and what you must do, locality and responsibility, we'll see in chapter 16. First, remember who you are. Paul had to just remind them, urge them, plead with them. Remember who you are. Because they lived in, they lived, I mean, the culture is just relentless in its pressure. And Corinth was just a pressure-packed society filled with self-sufficient, self-congratulatory people. It, it, Corinth was impressed with peer group prestige and competitive success. Uh, public recognition, says one scholar, Anthony Thistleton. He wrote this, and he wrote this in 2000, the year 2000, uh, 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 when he was writing his commentary on Corinth. He said, public recognition in Corinth was often more important than facts. Corinth was a world where curb appeal mattered more than structural integrity. It was a world where what you did or what you appeared to do mattered. It was about status and achievement and success and wealth. However, it came. Corinth was obsessed with recognition and perception and the approval of a target audience. A a specific audience. The in-group. That's who the Corinthians wanted to impress. They didn't care about the out group. They wanted to impress the in group. Huh. That was then. That was then. Have times changed really that much? Well, Paul came to Corinth to proclaim the true target audience. The God of heaven and earth sent his son to rescue you from this world. He called you, Paul says in chapter one. He elected you. He enriched you. He sustained you. And through this gospel, Paul says, you are my child. No, no, no. No, he doesn't say you are my child. What's he say? You are my beloved child. You are loved. I love you. Everything Paul says in these chapters are are born out of his love for his spiritual children. And with that then, Paul says the most amazing thing. Did you catch that there in chapter 4, verse 16? He says, I urge you then, I urge you, be imitators of me. What amazing words. Paul doesn't say, do as I say. Paul says, do as I do. Talk the way I talk. Relate the way you've seen me relate. Work the way I work. Give the way I give. Act the way you've seen me act. Treat other people the way you've seen me treat other people. With with, with not an ounce of arrogance, Paul with utter 
unselfconsciousness, he reminds his spiritual children to copy his way of life. And make no mistake, that, that happens anyway whether a father says it to his children or not. Our children are watching and they're learning. I got this thing with edging in my front yard. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Yeah. I had one of those electric edgers. But then I powered up. Man, there is power in my edger. Hold that thing and whack away at just the long locks. Little terrible on my sidewalk. Then I get that 90-degree wall. Oh, man. Where did I get that? I got that from my daddy. He never, ever said, now, son. He never said, I just saw it. I just saw it. Uh, I'm waiting for the day my son will say, Dad, where's your edger? (laughs) See, things are caught. Things are caught. And uh, imitation is evidence of influence. Amen? Yeah. So here's a thought. We're into vacation season. Finally can get out on the road again. And regarding influence and imitation, parents... When you're on vacation this summer and you're away from the Lord's house on Sunday, question, how will you worship together as a family? How will you do that? See, and there may be in destinations where you've gone, local congregations gathered, and you have your plans. God be praised. Maybe there's a new place where you're wanting to go. And there's not a local congregation that you're aware of or know about. Have you thought about having a family worship service together? Have you thought about that? I bet some of you have done that. Might you be able to take one of the daily scripture passages in our Read the Bible series that we're walking through this year from the Gospel Coalition website, might you take one of those scriptures for an outdoor family worship experience? Start planning now. Can't do it on the fly. See, Don't wait till the last minute to get that sermon ready. Prepare now. Think about it. Think about how you will have family church while you're away from your Windsor Road family. And I would love to hear your stories about your family worship experience. I really would. That would be a wonderful, wonderful testimony uh, for, for me to read. It would encourage me. And, and, uh, and if, it would, if it would please you, I would, I would love our entire church family to be nourished. Here's how we remembered God uh, while we were just taking time of relaxation and leisure. That's a, that's, a, that's a good thought, isn't it? It's because, you see, if we do that, it's because we're teaching our children 
who they are, who they are in Christ. What, what, what is it that gives you true joy over your children? Is it academic success, athletic trophies, vocational achievement? Those are good things, yes, of course. But I want you to listen to the Apostle John who said this in 2 John 4, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. That's what I rejoice greatly over, the Apostle John says. Those, are, those, are, those other things are other things, but the thing is walking in truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Paul reminds the Corinthians that truth is greater than trend. Truth is greater than trend. And he reminds them with the Corinthians to ignore the voices of arrogance and mere talk of verse 19. And he reminds them of who they are in Christ. I'm your spiritual father, and you're my beloved spiritual children. Imitate my ways in Christ. Anything you see in my life that looks like Jesus, do that. Anything that looks like Jesus, do that. And by the way, by the way, that's how you parent adult children. That's how you parent adult children. That, 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 that's all we have. Right? Imitate my ways in Christ. That's it. That's all, that's all I have over my sons. So, you want to know how to, parent, you, how to parent adult children? Start living like the Christian you wish they'd become. Amen. That's how. And it's because you've remembered who you are. That's identity. Now there's locality. Now we've got to jump all the way over to chapter 16 for that. In chapter 16, verse 13, Paul, Paul speaks like a commanding officer at war. Verse 13 says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. That's military talk. It just is. Beloved, spiritual warfare is not a metaphor. It's real. And spiritual warfare is not for the faint of heart. And that's why Paul reminds the church that soldiers must stand firm. You see, demonic powers are not impressed with your physical strength. And they're not impressed with your intellect. They're not impressed with your business acumen. They're not. They, that does not impress the demons one bit. What impresses the demonic world are those with the Spirit of God and the Word of God inhabiting a man or woman of God. That's what impresses them. That's what causes them to quake. You want to intimidate a demon, you get the Word of God and the Spirit of God in you. Amen. Paul reminds the Corinthians that they're in a fight. They're in a fight. There is a cause for which to fight. There are comrades to defend. There is an enemy to defeat. And furthermore, his warnings are in the imperative mood. Did you say that? Did you see that there? He didn't say, if you'd like. 
He gave a command. It's not optional. He gives fatherly directives, not suggestions. This is what you must do based on who you are. And Paul anchors imperative commands on indicative facts. Since you are called, since you are chosen, since you are established in Christ, since you have the Holy Spirit and you lack none of his gifts, and since you will judge angels. Remember that? You will judge angels, Paul says. Now then, this is what you must do. Oh, and one more thing. They're all in the plural. Don't miss those little details. They're in the plural. Paul is saying, y'all. Y'all. You're not meant to do these alone. You're not meant to do these alone. You're meant to live in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And that requires us to see this not as an institution, but as a family. Uh, Joseph Hellerman, Joseph Hellerman uh, has written a very, very helpful book called Why We Need the Church to Be More Like Jesus. And in that book, Uh, Hellerman critiques uh, discipleship in the American culture. And uh, he exposes a discipleship defect in, in, in many, not all, but in many American congregations. And it goes something like this. American discipleship is, uh, is about uh, me plus experiencing God plus my daily life. Now, let's just, let's unpack that, all right? American discipleship, that is, is, is individualistic, subjective, and ahistorical, meaning it, it, it's kind of basically, it's very egocentric. It's about me. It's about me. American discipleship asks, what can God do for me? And American discipleship produces people with an experience, okay? All right? He argues for biblical, a more biblical discipleship. Us, us, plus making disciples until Jesus returns. Okay, which is to say it's collective. It's all of us. It's objective. It's objective, making disciples. That's objective. And then it has a destiny until Jesus returns. Biblical discipleship asks, what can we do for God's glory? Biblical discipleship produces a community on mission. Let me, let me show you two pictures here. Here's the first picture. This is not the church. Okay? This is not the church. Here's the second picture. This is the church. Okay? We're not a cruise ship. We're an aircraft carrier. And every person needs to contribute to the glory of the king and his agenda. And so Paul's warnings in verse 13 are about vigilance and valor. Vigilance and valor. He says, be watchful. Be watchful, Paul says. Be on the alert, Paul says. Why, why, now, why would Paul need to say be watchful? 
Well, would it have anything to do with the sneaky negative influences of Corinthian culture? Does, does Paul want them to be on guard against the temptation to judge each other based on Corinthian culture instead of their shared status as brothers and sisters in Christ? Is Paul pleading with them to keep themselves from the corrupting influence of bad company? Bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. And that got me thinking, this this word, be watchful, be watchful. It got me thinking about perhaps uh, an, an unnoticed temptation. Could it be that the most dangerous, unnoticed temptation of a mature Christian is their Christian maturity? Could, Christi- could, could Christian maturity be a temptation? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, well, our walk with the Lord is a lot like farming. We clear the land, we break up the soil, we plant the crops, we irrigate, we irrigate, we nurture, but we do not ever have the liberty to walk away. At no point can we ever say, well, I can coast. I can coast. I can coast. You know, I've arrived. I've read the Bible so many times, I don't need to read it anymore. I've done my share of serving. I don't need to serve anymore. Here's what, I'm not a farmer, but I mean, I, I observe farming, and I observe what farmers observe, and it's this, weeds will find a way. If we're not on constant watch, then weeds will dominate the dirt and choke the life of the crops. That's the way it is with relationships, right? Once a relationship is planted, weeds will find a way. Weeds will find a way. Weeds of conflict, weeds of control, weeds of bitterness, weeds of unforgiveness, weeds of anger, weeds of selfishness, weeds of pride, weeds of greed, weeds of jealousy, weeds of impatience, weeds of unkindness, weeds of you fill in the blank. A a walk with the Lord is good because we keep walking. Right, left, right, left, right, left. We dare not let the world keep us from one another. We're watchful to the ways which the world tries to insert itself into our lives and into our relationships. Be watchful, Paul says. And then Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm. Paul calls for a holy and stubborn resolve. He wants us to draw a line in the sand and not back down. Stand firm in what? Stand firm In the faith, in the faith, that is to say, in the objective body of truth that was delivered as of first importance, that's chapter 15. So that's the gospel which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word being preached. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised. Christ appeared, Christ ascended, Christ poured out his spirit. And now this is who you are based on what Christ has done. Truth is greater than trend. And Paul pleads with the Corinthians to remember who they are, that in the midst of a secular culture of 80,000 Romans, Paul has planted an embassy of heaven. Corinth may have been a colony of Rome, but the church is a colony of heaven. 
And the 100 or so Christians who lived in this worldly city were in fact the vanguard of a new world that God is creating. Do you understand that? That who we are here and now, we're the vanguard of the new heavens and the new earth. Where in the name of Jesus, every tongue shall confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Christ is Lord. The truth is that in a city dominated by ornate temples in the name of dead emperors... The Corinthian church is, in fact, the Spirit's temple of the living Christ. In a world that glorified the human body, idolized and deified the body, its looks, its appearance, its intellect, its physique, Paul reminds the church that they are the Spirit-filled body of Jesus Christ. The presence of Jesus occupies Corinthian space. It's no less true for us. Paul says you're washed, you're justified, you're sanctified. This is who you are. Now stand firm in that truth. And how? Well, you stand firm in the truth by feeding yourself the truth. Preach to yourself the truth. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. I'm telling you, man. You got to keep preaching that to yourself over and over and over again. You are the best preacher in your life. You are. Because you talk to yourself all day long. Huh? So preach to yourself. Preach to yourself truth. The world says you're not enough. The faith says Jesus is enough. The world says earn more. Jesus, the faith says Jesus paid it all. The world says work more. The faith says I'm washed. I'm washed. I'm justified. I'm sanctified. Stand firm in the faith, Paul says. Be watchful. Stand firm. Then he says this. Act like men. Act like men. Literally, play the man. Play the man. Now, the opposite of act like men is not act like women. That's not the opposite. The opposite of act like men is act like a child. Mmm. Mmm. Can I get a mmm there? Huh? <laughs> But that's true, right? And you need only go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a what? Child, yeah, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I became a grown-up, I put away childish things. That's, that's what Father Paul is telling us. Father Paul is directing the spiritually juvenile Corinthians to grow up, grow up. Grow up, get up, stand up, show up. 
and be strong, and be strong. Paul's words echo the Lord's words to Joshua. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. Paul's also thinking of Psalm 31, 24, 31, 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. So do you hear, you hear Paul there? So he's not only reviewing in chapter 16, verse 13, all that he has said before in this letter to the Corinthians, but he's reviewing all that's been written in God's Word. Paul's a Bible guy. These commands can be traced back through the entirety of Scripture. Paul knows the Word. And he wants the Corinthians to anchor their confidence in the Lord's Word. Is that not the mission of fatherhood? To come alongside our children, our families, and to help them be confident in the Lord and not in themselves. A good father, a gospel father will ponder, how can I banish self-reliance from the hearts of my children and fill them with confidence and courage and zeal and boldness? that is rooted not in themselves but in him how can I help them say with the psalmist in Psalm 60 verse 12 with God we will do valiantly I like that verse with God we will do valiantly we need a valiant children valiant men valiant women a valiant congregation you're at war we, we need valiant people for war that's where you are who you are where you are and now what to do what to do isn't this just beautiful this verse 14 Paul really just wraps up this picture of godly masculinity Godly fatherhood, godly spirituality, where he, 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 he takes all of these military commands and then he just wraps them in a, a, a cloak of love. Let all you do be done in love. Wow. For all the complicated, chaotic problems of the Corinthian church, Paul's solution came down to the grace of Christ and the selflessness of love. And that's true for us as well. Our difficulties may feel complex and layered, and some are. The solutions, it's it's simply put, and uh, it's just difficult to do, and that's love. It's difficult to do because, because it calls for Self-crucifixion. And crucifixion is a slow death. Paul did not say, I have been beheaded in Christ. That's a quick death. He says, I've been crucified. Crucified, that's a slow death. Without Christ, we can't know the truth. 
But without love, truth becomes a club we wield rather than balm we apply. And to be genuinely watchful, to be firm in the faith, to be courageous and strong, we must do everything in love. And, and Paul gives examples in the Corinthian church of what this looks like. Just glance down to verses 15 and following as you're in chapter 16. He mentions, he mentions Stephanus. Who is Stephanus? Stephanus was the charter member of the church at Corinth. Very first convert. Very first convert. His household were the first converts in Achaia. And they've devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So, so if we want to aspire to lead, we do that by serving others. And then there's Fortunatus and Achaeus. We, we, we need to be recognized for refreshing others with our presence, not impressing others with our gifts. A life of love does everything for the glory of Christ and not the promotion of self. So there's plenty of other people other than Paul for the Corinthians to imitate. And I want you to think about the people in your life. I want you to think about your brothers and sisters in Christ right here in this room. You just say, I want to be like brother so-and-so because he. I want to be like sister so-and-so because she. I want, to, I want to imitate my brothers and sisters in Christ because they are, they are a source of refreshment. When, when they show up, the refreshment shows up because they are the refreshment in the Lord. I want to be like that. I want to be like that. The gospel father helps his child remember who you are, where you are, and what to do. We need a holy vigilance to keep the wolves of false teaching from grazing on the flock of God. We need valor to fight the enemy. And church, church, Satan is your enemy, not your fellow American. We need a holy stubbornness, refusing to give an inch of true gospel ground, regardless of society's pride. And to ensure that our vigilance and valor look like Jesus, we just wrap it all in love. Do you notice? Do you notice? Paul's closing words in 1 Corinthians, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. There's a daddy right there.